PTJ podcasts are made possible by the American Physical Therapy Association. Physical therapists diagnose and treat people of all ages with all types of health conditions to help keep them moving and functioning in daily life. Welcome to the Crake Cast from Physical Therapy. This month, the special series on rehabilitation for people with critical illness with guest editor Dr. Patricia Otake joining Dr. Crake. And now, PTJ Editor-in-Chief, Dr. Rebecca Crake. Hello, I'm Becky Crake, Editor-in-Chief of Physical Therapy, and I am so delighted to introduce to you the December issue of Physical Therapy. This issue is one of two that are going to share content related to critical illness. I'm going to introduce to you Patricia J. Otaki, and Dr. Otaki is going to talk to you about this month's issue and her co-editors. Welcome, Patricia. Thank you very much, Beck. I am really excited about these two issues of PTJ. This is a really expanding and growing area in the profession of physical therapy as well as other rehabilitation professionals. And it certainly wouldn't have been possible without the amazing efforts of my other two guest editors for this special issue that I would like to mention. Dr. Dale Strasser is the Chair of Rehabilitation Medicine at Emory University, and Dr. Dale Needham is the Medical Director of the Critical Care Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation Program at Johns Hopkins University. Thank you, Patricia. I should have mentioned that Dr. Otake is also a member of the editorial board, and I am so grateful to her for bringing this topic to the editorial board to suggest the special series. So we're going to start with the first paper in the special series, and that's one by Andrea Harabin and James Kiley, entitled How the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute Develops Research Priorities and Supports Critical Care Research. Patricia, what are you going to say about this one? We were really excited to ask Harbin and Kylie to contribute to this special issue because over the past decade, there's been a growing recognition of the efficacy of rehabilitation intervention for survivors of critical illness, and therefore, it's really important that as a profession, we continue to identify best practice across the continuum of care, and they suggest to use the Investigator Initiative Research Grant Application Process. So this is a really great article for therapists to read just to get a great overview of the NIH and the NHLBI in particular and to really see the different initiatives, but to remember to keep focused on those investigator-initiated research grant applications. So this is just a wonderful opportunity, as Patricia said, for therapists interested in engaging in research to get funded. The next article is led by Amy Norton Craft. It's entitled Intensive Care Unit Acquired Weakness, Implications for Physical Therapist Management. And Patricia, I found this really interesting, so take it on. This is a great article. We're so appreciative that Nordencraft and her colleagues chose to submit this and include it in this special issue because this article includes an excellent overview of ICU-acquired weakness. The manuscript includes diagnostic criteria, medical management, and information about the prognosis as well. The thing that's really exciting about this article is they provide an evidence-based guideline and decision-making algorithm for identifying patients with critical illness for whom rehabilitation interventions are safe and feasible. So I think this would be a really great article for physical therapists or any rehabilitation professional to read to get a real comprehensive overview of the diagnosis and rehab management of people with critical illness. The next article by Linda Dennehy and colleagues 
is entitled Quantifying Physical Activity Levels of Survivors of Intensive Care, a Prospective Observational Study. Patricia, what do you want to tell us about this article? I think this article is interesting in that we've known for quite a while now that survivors of critical illness have these persistent functional limitations following hospital discharge, but we really didn't have a good idea of what their activity level was. And so what Dunahee and colleagues did was they actually investigated the activity levels of 49 older adult survivors of critical illness, and they looked at them two months after discharge from the ICU. And what they found was that their physical activity levels were lower than reported for older adults who are healthy. And so in their article, these authors explored the factors that may possibly be associated with reduced activity levels to help us understand are the things that can be done to help improve these activity levels. And what I would like to emphasize, I think this is the beginning of something big, but I really want to emphasize that it's very preliminary because it is a small sample. The next article that we're going to look at is entitled Physical Therapy on the Wards After Early Physical Activity and Mobility in the Intensive Care Unit. Patricia. This article by Hopkins and colleagues is a really important article because it emphasizes the importance of a culture change regarding physical activity in hospitals. They look at patients that came from the ICU that had a request for physical therapy consultation or orders for nursing to ambulate them at the time of the patient transfer. And when they got to the ward, that didn't happen for several days. And so the culture on the ward was one of immobility compared to the culture in the ICU of mobility. So I think this is a very, very important article for advocating culture change for mobility on the ward. I agree completely. I think this really does show the culture change that has begun in many hospitals and hopefully will extend into smaller hospitals as well. The next article is by Sue Burney and colleagues, and it's entitled Safety and Feasibility of an Exercise Prescription Approach to Rehabilitation Across the Continuum of Care for Survivors of Critical Illness. And what Bernie and her colleagues did was they actually developed individualized exercise programs with appropriate intensities. And this, as you can appreciate, can be very challenging for physical therapists because none of our standard exercise testing was appropriate for patients with the severe illness that these individuals are experiencing. And the authors found that the rehabilitation interventions that were guided by this objective exercise prescription were safe and feasible. And so that was really exciting. We now actually have evidence for developing objective, informed exercise prescriptions from the ICU to the outpatient setting. The next study is entitled The Clinical Utility of the Functional Status Score for the Intensive Care Unit at a Long-Term Acute Care Hospital, otherwise called an LTAC. This is a prospective cohort study. Patricia. This is a nice study because it gives physical therapists an opportunity to use objective outcome measures, in this case, the functional status score for the intensive care unit, and to use them to predict discharge destinations for patients that are being managed in an LTAC. And in the article, the authors discussed the potential of this outcome measure for discharge planning. And by knowing the patient's FSSICU score, they may have some information that would predict the best setting for these patients to go to. And I agree completely. I think this is a really exciting finding because 
a tool was being proposed and it looked like it was successful in discriminating discharge disposition. So the next article, entitled Global Muscle Strength But Not Grip Strength, predicts mortality and length of stay in a general population in a surgical intensive care unit, is led by Jeanette Lee and her colleagues. Patricia, tell us about this one. This article is another prognostic article that we included in the special series. Their findings indicated that manual muscle testing three days following admission to the ICU was superior to grip strength, which had been previously used quite consistently, for predicting mortality and hospital length of stay. I think Lee and colleagues' paper is important in that it really shows the importance of manual muscle testing to overall function of patients with critical illness. The third article in this little mini-series in this December issue related to outcome measures is one led by Jennifer Allison and her colleagues. is entitled Repeatability of the Six-Minute Walk Test and Relation to Physical Function in Survivors of a Critical Illness. Patricia. This article really extends the use of the six-minute walk test. Allison and her colleagues asked the question, how many times should the six-minute walk test be performed in order to be reliable enough to show a change in physical function? And what they found was that for this patient population of individuals that have survived critical illness, that the six-minute walk test can be administered in the home and is reliable to show change in performance when it's administered twice. The next paper is entitled Neuromuscular Electrical Stimulation for Intensive Care Unit Acquired Weakness, Protocol and Methodologic Implications for a Randomized Sham-Controlled Phase II Trial. This article is by Michelle Coe and her colleagues. This is one of two protocol studies that are included in this special issue. So in the first one by Michelle Coe and her colleagues, They described the rationale and their study protocol for investigating the hypothesis that neuromuscular electrical stimulation, when applied to three bilateral lower extremity muscle groups, will increase lower extremity strength in individuals with critical illness who are mechanically ventilated. And when it's completed, it has the potential to determine if NMES is a feasible and efficacious approach for the management of ICU-acquired weakness. The next protocol in this issue is entitled A Combined Early Cognitive and Physical Rehabilitation Program for People Who Are Critically Ill, the Activity and Cognitive Therapy in an Intensive Care Unit Trial. This is a really interesting protocol because it addresses the cognitive impairments that a lot of individuals with critical illness experience. And I'm excited because I think the outcomes of both of these studies will inform the development of novel rehabilitation strategies for this patient population. Thank you. Patricia, is there anything you would like to say to sum up? Yes. I think that right now the challenge for the rehabilitation and critical care community is really twofold, and hopefully we've addressed some of this challenge in this special issue. The first challenge is that we need to continue developing effective rehab interventions for managing the care of patients with critical illness while they're in the ICU, but also as they move through the other levels of care and resume their life in the community. Secondly, I think it's important that we increase the awareness of what's known as post-intensive care syndrome, or really that constellation of impairments and functional limitations that a patient is left with once they're out of the intensive care unit. And finally, just on behalf of Dr. Dale Needham and Dr. Dale Strasser and myself, 
We really hope the articles in this first issue of the special series will provide you with both an enhanced understanding of and new management strategies for the many physical and cognitive challenges facing survivals of critical illness. Thanks for listening. If you have a question for Dr. Craig, email ptj at apta.org and be sure to include CraigCast in the subject line. This is a production of Science Audio, online at www.scienceaudio.net.